0: The fire in my words
1: Fire History unfolded Here on this stage I love what's cooking The mic is hot I'm ready to I'm go I'm ready to go Come on in hey, We're ready for warfare we ready to get back Give it. X Crossroads, cyphers on deck Recycling, guard, flying so, my mic check and walk with it All oh, hell fucking lesson Get down Get him up you will agree that everywhere that we go, that we crush you, but I'm It's real. the return of the God, let the dollars be born. Close your mouth from shock and get your peoples on the horn. Tell them that I re-forged the movement sword and I'm ready to get it on. Destined Aragorn, battle tested. I'm in the struggle worldwide, bringing coaches out the nooks and crannies. It's our time for rhyme elevation, we stiffen the competition. He's back.
0: Video from a California freeway shot by a driver stunned by what he was seeing unfold. A woman being punched over and over and over again by a California highway patrolman. And you see it, you heard it. It was like
1: thump, thump, thump. And then you hear her, hear her head bouncing, bam, bam, on the concrete. How many
0: times did he hit her?
1: Oh, I've seen 11 on the video. He took more shots than that. I think it's around 15 shots to her head. And then she punching, punching. Like, this is not just jabs. These are hooks. Those are lights out punches. Those aren't like taps. Get on the ground, get on
0: the ground. Several Rochester police officers arrived at the scene. Prude's brother called 911, worried that his brother was having a mental breakdown. The video shows Prude followed police orders. Put your hands behind your back. Behind your back. Don't move. When they handcuffed him, you can see blood on his wrist. Police say Prude smashed windows on Jefferson Avenue before police arrived. On the video, police say Prude said he had coronavirus and he was spitting, so police put a spit bag over his head.
1: I'm in the oh. yeah.
0: <laughs> Two minutes after he was cuffed, Prude starts to sit up.
1: Stay, up, stay down, up. stay minute. up.
0: Two minutes after that, officers start putting their hands on him. Prude's voice gets muffled and high-pitched.
1: to kill me! It is good. I mean, my mom will
0: Stop. Calm down. Stop. Calm down. Calm down. Okay? Three minutes later, Prude stops moving. Roll him over on his side. The order comes to uncuff him, but officers can't find the key. Then the EMTs are called in.
1: Does he have a pulse? Oh no.
0: Start CPI. Prude was put in an ambulance. His brother says he was put on life support and died seven days later.
1: You killed a defenseless black man, a father's son, a brother's brother, a nephew's uncle. If you want to know the truth, the
0: video footage is going to show the truth. Prude's family's lawyers were asked what people will see when they watch the body cam video. They're going to see a murder what they're going to see. Wilmington, North Carolina's police chief has fired three veteran officers for what he calls hate-filled speech caught on a patrol car camera internal investigation accused officers kevin piner and brian gilmore and corporal jesse moore of violating standards of conduct and using inappropriate slurs including the n-word investigators say that piner described killing black people in a new civil war saying quote wipe them off the leap map
1: all right ron holland here and a good day to you Episode 16, we're going to jump right into this thing. This is going to be fascinating. Buckle your seatbelts. This is going to be transparent and uh, absolutely revealing. And it's going to be hard uh, for many of you to hear. And uh, I know some of you will be perhaps offended and I am taking great risks uh, with regard to this because I am feeling something that I actually don't want to actually feel. And if I had to title this episode, episode 16, it would be I want white folks to feel this shit. I want white folks to feel this shit, to feel what I'm feeling, to feel what African Americans collectively are feeling, what the African diaspora is feeling collectively, and I, family, abhor what I'm feeling, this place of anger and frustration, this this rage, there is... An overwhelming sense of Despondence Some distress Yet again Another black man Either murdered or shot By police This time in Walmart apparently Guy Who Is wielding a bat Perhaps even have some Mental illness. Gentleman out in Rochester. Suffering from some form of mental breakdown, running the streets naked, no clothes off, obviously under some mental health, mental illness distress and police still find a way to murder this man. The frequency in which this occurs, we are desensitized to this, this it's become normal, this reluctant acceptance that things will never change. It is shrouding every bit of optimism. That arises after each march, after each protest and demonstration, after each conversation about race, where you think that people will finally get it and they don't particularly and especially those who are tasked with protect and serve those who say they are police. They are not getting it. And the families of those police officers, particularly and especially white officers, you are not getting it. How many conversations are we going to have about race, about bad policing, about the need for reform, whether it's in the form of defunding police and rerouting those resources to mental health experts? I don't care. I want the murder of my people to stop. How many clarion calls How many days of outrage and protest and freedom chants and cries for justice must be bellowed from a bullhorn, yelled from the lungs and from the diaphragm of protesters, risking it all in the midst of a global pandemic? When will enough be enough? When will white folks get it? Look, I understand. And I applaud. There are. Thousands upon thousands of white folks around this country and indeed around the globe as demonstrated when George Floyd was killed. There are people with white skin who were out there protesting and risking it all. And I absolutely love the idea that there is this collective energy. There's this synergy that is taking place. That people understand that this has got to stop. But then there is the larger society where there is this cavalier attitude toward this. And I often have to ask myself, when will folks get it? When will white folks actually get it? Every day we live with the prospect that maybe, that perhaps, that inevitably, We as individuals with black skin or uh, tan skin or light skin, regardless of income or socioeconomic status, regardless of fame, regardless of acclaim, celebrity or pedigree, that one day our interaction with police, and let me be clear about this, with white police, Might end with death or some form of maiming or a physical and psychological trauma that will haunt our souls and our well-being and our families for the foreseeable future. That is what we face on a daily basis and it's unfair to carry this burden. It's too much to ask of a people that endures a collective trauma where the vestiges of slavery and oppression seems almost encoded in our DNA. I wonder though, is it too much to ask that our humanity be respected? Is it too much to ask that we are allowed to greet the sun at dawn Or wish the moon a good night without another breaking news story that a black man has been killed by police, that another black man has been shot by police, particularly and especially white police. Is it too much to ask of the larger society that we just have our humanity respected? That we can too be allowed to exist without this kind of trauma and disrespect and dehumanization. I want this to be clear abundantly and emphatically tears will not spill from my eyes, especially if I have an opportunity to be on television, it won't spill from my eyes. I want folks to understand that you will not hear a quiver in my voice and I will not demonstrate an emotional incoherence that leaves room for a misjudgment of weakness and timidity. No, you are not listening to this podcast thinking that I have some form of fear. And if you are in your car and you're listening by cell phone or laptop or computer or whatever your device or medium I will not give white America, white folks, bigots in blue, and bullies with badges the satisfaction of appearing emotionally vulnerable to the point of tears. You're not going to see it or hear it. It's not going to come from me, damn it. I want you to feel my anger. I want you to see it. I want you to hear my rage. I want you to understand implicitly the um, disgust that I feel for white America when our people are being slaughtered by bigots with badges and bullies with, with guns. I want this to be an indelible mark on your brain that some of us are not going to appear on television or hear us on radio cowering with fear and trepidation. That's not going to happen. You won't see it. Now, internally, we might be feeling this, but I want you to see my anger. Because I'm tired of this nonsense. No cowering. No pleas for understanding. No gestures of uh, acquiescence or acceptance. No, none of this why in 2020 we are living in a society where bigotry is accepted and where it is being touted from the highest office in this land. And white folks who are coming out from the fringes, particularly carrying around uh, Confederate flags and support Donald Trump and riding around and, and, and ram trucks with rifles and guns trying to intimidate our people coupled with police who are patrolling our neighborhood and our communities with this sense of Gestapo. I have to be honest with you. I'm not interested in tolerating the imagined fear of police. What about our fear? Damn it. Why are our concerns and our dread and and our fears, the very tangible fear, why is that discounted and dismissed? Because to be honest with you, it is we, during these negative interactions with police that are most often, usually the case, we are unarmed. And the only threat, the only tangible, real tangible fear is people with my hue of skin that has to face the barrel of a gun and the shouts and the conflicted commands and the ineptitude and the incompetence and the inability to de escalate tensions. Just imagine sitting in your car at a traffic stop or being pulled over by police. And instead of this idiot. Greeting you with respect and dignity, he got his hands by his gun. Now, I understand there is fear out there- real fear by police. I get that. What about our fear? What about our trepidation? Now, I'm loath to say this, but honestly speaking, it's painfully obvious that we've arrived at that point where a serious conversation, a serious discussion about who patrols our communities in our neighborhoods. That's a discussion that must be had because I'm at that point now where I don't want our community to have to interact with white police. I don't want to be in this space. I don't even want to be uttering this stuff. Now, admittedly, listen, I know some really great police grew up with some who are retired now. One of my uh, martial arts teachers was a police officer, a captain, a deputy. I understand the workings, the inner workings of police and some of the things that they have to fear when they're on the job. I've interviewed them as a radio host. I've interviewed police as a news reporter years ago during my print days, I've had great interaction with a number of white officers. That's the truth. I know some really great guys and ladies with that badge. But there is just something off about the totality of these interactions as it relates to our community. And honestly, Law enforcement has too many bullies and bigots in their ranks. And nothing substantive is coming out of efforts to get rid of those who don't belong in the ranks of police. Because it is our community that has suffered as a result of having these folks in law enforcement. And what ails me. What angers me, what frustrates me and so many people with my hue of skin. That the larger community don't get it. They don't understand our pain. They don't live with our fears. A few days ago. Had a conversation with my chief sensei, my karate teacher, for those of you unfamiliar with the term. And he recounted how he had to physically defend himself against police back in 1989. And I remember that. I remember it. That negative interaction put him on the trajectory of fighting this issue from the vantage point of community activism. It is how I became involved in community activism, which inevitably led me into journalism and radio. All of these things collided. My karate teacher having literally to defend himself against overzealous, abusive cops put him on that trajectory. And for a long time. I wrestled with why white folks just didn't get what we are feeling collectively as if it didn't matter to them. As long as their community is safe from crime and the overzealous policing that is exacted on other people and that their white skin privilege is not disturbed. It's okay as long as those folks can be kept away from our community. I wrestled with that for a long time and now decades later I've arrived at the point where I can no longer quell what I have been feeling inside for quite a long time. It's after all of these years of seeing white police officers escape justice for the most awful and tragic of killings of people with my hue of skin. After having the conversation with my children, especially my two sons. And of course my 23 year old daughter who wants to take a road trip, but the reluctant dad, the reluctant father in me has to caution my daughter against running into the type of police that the late Sandra Bland had to contend with, which unfortunately ended in Sandra Bland's death. My daughter can't go out and be concerned about the everyday normal things to be fearing of. The task of protect and serve is not afforded to someone like my daughter because she can take a road trip and find herself in an interaction with police who wants to exert control. But this is where I am. Reluctantly. Regrettably. Unfortunately, I hate having this in my heart. This is what forced me all of this, white America. I want the family of white police officers, particularly and especially those white officers that are mired in bigotry and prejudice and racial bias and racism. I want you to feel what I am feeling right now. Now I know there are a lot of white families who have police officers uh, in their family. I know that they understand what it's like to worry about whether or not they are going to come home. But just imagine as a black parent, as a black father, a black mother, what it feels like not to know if your family member, your husband, your son, your daughter may not come home as a result of the bigotry and the prejudice and the stereotype of a white police officer. I want those families to dredge through the emotional turmoil that grips the heart of every black mother, every black father, every black family. I want white families to be suddenly Hurled into this awful and exhausting abyss, the mental anguish, the emotional drain. I want them to decipher the convoluted explanations and the nonsensical rationale that only makes sense to people that have the entire injustice system weighted to their benefit. I want whites in this country, if only for a day, perhaps an hour. Hell, even for a moment to know what it feels like to have your little boys shrouded with suspicion while playing with a toy gun like all little boys do. Like I did as a kid slinging uh, a plastic revolver like a cowboy. I want you to grapple with the experience of having some anonymous person call the police and have your 12-year-old sons shot in a fraction of a second by a dumbass white police officer while playing with a toy gun and instinctively, before you even get both feet out of the damn patrol car, shoots and kills a 12-year-old boy doing what all little boys like to do, play with a toy gun. We can't even do that. I want you to feel what it what it feels like to wade through the agony of seeing your blonde hair, blue-eyed, freckled-faced, 14-year-old boy beaten and pummeled by a hawking, overly aggressive bully donned in police uniform. I want whites in this country to know what it's like to walk aimlessly and hopelessly into a morgue to see your white son's back riddled with bullet holes from the gun of police. I, this is our collective trauma that we are feeling, and you don't feel that. I want you to feel this pain so that you can get it. I want you to sort through this trauma so you can get what we're feeling. Do you hear me, families of white police officers? Do you hear me, white America? This is the collective trauma that we're dealing with every single day. Imagine driving on any interstate, on any road, in any part of America, where when you see those blue lights, suddenly you got to sit up straight and act like you're, oh, you don't feel it. But we do. I want you to know what it feels like as a mother and a father to have your white daughter shot while asleep in the bed by an incompetent police mired in prejudice and stereotype. And then... To learn that a partisan district attorney loyal to right-wing conservative worldviews is slow-walking arrest or is perhaps trying mightily to figure out how to justify shooting a woman in bed. What happened to Breonna Taylor sickens me. And if for only a moment you had to navigate the turmoil of that horror... White America, especially white mothers. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, your white daughters discovered in discovered dead in jail after being arrested by a hateful bully in a thug in uniform. Just for a moment, I want you to feel the pain of Sandra Bland's mother, Genevaville. And her family, all because a bigot and a bully in uniform wants to exert control and power and fails to exercise a modicum of humanity and even patience that is extended or afforded to other communities, especially wealthy communities. I want you to know, you know, as I look back. And all of the tragic unjustified killings of black men and women by police. One of the most despicable killings is something that could literally come out of the scene of a movie. That was the killing of Timothy Russell and Melissa Williams. I remember reading that and I often think about that with all the tragedies that we have to deal with that thing's. It rings out to me. And for those of you that are not familiar, this happened in uh, 2012, I believe it was. This was a murder. And let me be clear, this was a murder. Timothy Russell, Melissa Williams. Now, listen to they, they, they were driving past a police headquarters in Cleveland uh, back in 2012. The car actually backfired. And in those of you not familiar with why a car backfires, it has something to do with the spark plugs or whatever, but it backfired. And police claimed they thought the noise was gunfire. So police chased these folks. And 13 dumbass cops fired 137 rounds. One cop in Rambo style, Uh, his name was Michael Brello or something, actually jumped on the hood of the car and fired and fired and fired. And the inevitable outcome as experienced by so many black families in these kinds of instances is to see that officer and the other officers exonerated for this reprehensible murder. This nonsensical but time honored excuse of this, quote, imagined fear for my life is used despite the fact that that idiot leaped onto the hood of the car and killed Russell and Williams. White America, I want you to ferret this kind of horror, this kind of pain, seeing your children riddled with bullets by overzealous police. If only you knew what it's like to have your son to get into a car accident and then subsequently walk for whatever a mile, seek help from a nearby resident only to be shot and killed by police after seeking help for being in a car accident. If only you knew what it was like to have your son or sons by Arizona tea and Skittles, and to be stalked and harassed by a wannabe cop and subsequently shot to death. Not that I want the death of your sons or your daughters, but to know why the carrying call of Black Lives Matter is in the hearts of nearly everyone that share my hue of skin. White America, you're too cavalier. You're too dismissive about these issues. This hasn't touched your heart, at least in the ways that it has for black families. This hasn't destroyed your lives and your sense of security. You haven't had to have this damn conversation with your white sons and your white daughters and your fathers and your brothers. You tout family values. Pursuit of happiness. American greatness. It's all for you and your white privilege. While people with my hue of skin are forced to contend and live with the real fear that some bigot and bully and idiot and ill-trained nitwit in blue uniform can snatch our lives and actually get away with it. I want you to become familiar with the fear of having your sons jog through a neighborhood and hunted down by gun-toting murderers. I want your white sons and fathers and uncles to have a knee drain the life from their body while calling for help from a deceased mother. I want you to know what that feels like. Not that I want death or wish death on any of your family members. I just want you to know what it feels like. Do you hear me families of white police officers? Do you hear me America white America? Because as I see it and as I know that fathers around this country that have black and tan skin, I know how they feel. I know how black mothers feel every single day because I am married to one and I have one and I interact with many, many, many of them. I know how they feel instinctively to go to bed with that fear that their children may not arrive home safely, not because of a, a, a robber or because they had been, um, you know, whatever crime this out. No, because of a negative interaction with police. The lives of black men are in danger, especially by police mired in stereotype and bigotry. The lives of black people in this country is in danger by thugs and bigots with badges. When the very first instinct of police is to draw their guns first, They do that in our community, but afford murderers, especially mass murderers with white skin, the discretion and accommodation. There's a problem with it. You know, years ago I was um, working in various group homes prior to my stint in radio uh, here in Charlotte. And even during, I actually, I should say, because uh, there was, I had to hold down several jobs at the top, but uh, I remember having to work in the group home setting, both with children, and I'm talking teenagers, as well as adults. And there were many occasions. Now, many of you know that I've been trained in martial arts. I've been doing it since I was 13. And so I am particularly equipped to be able to protect myself. And so my very first instinct when I had to deal with individuals who were overly aggressive, when we had to uh, implement de-escalation techniques before it escalated into something physical, listen, there were occasion because of my training where I had to take individuals down And put them in restraints because the de-escalation tactic didn't work. Now, 99% of the time it did work. But there was always this one occasion where it resulted in having to put someone in physical restraints. And because of the, in my judgment, Uh, slothful approach to training uh, implemented by some of these folks who run these group homes and some of these uh, behavioral centers. I mean, I I have to be honest with you. Uh, It's not the type of training that I experienced as a kid and even as an adult. And so that skill set lives with me because I still practice. I still train, but not to meander here, but what I'm suggesting to you is that there is this instinct That happens when someone is coming. Now, look, I had to have to deal with people who have significant behavioral problems, who would come after you with a fork, a knife, whatever they had in their hand. And we had to figure out a way to get that weapon out of their hand. There had to be some form of combat. Now, this is in gradations now. But at the end of the day, you had to defend yourself and at the same time, take that weapon away from that individual, put that individual in restraints. Now, this is not only my experience here in Charlotte. I also worked in, um, in mental health facilities back home in Jersey where I had to deal with, along with my coworkers, individual who will absolutely come after you if they are not on their medication who have significant behavioral problems, and if they are angry and frustrated, they will come after you. But we learned how to de-escalate, and we learned how to put constraints and restraints on individuals who were aggressive toward us. We didn't have the luxury of having a gun. We had our training. The question that I often ask, what kind of training are these officers getting that they cannot do anything without their gun? Whatever happened to be this physical combat that you're supposed to be trained in? I have to ask that question because is it always the case, especially with white officers, that your first instinct is to reach for your gun? That's what frustrates me, because I know that my experience in dealing with people with a broad range of behavioral problems that usually resulted in some kind of either de-escalation or some kind of constraint or restraint. I understand that without a gun, the only thing you have is your hands, maybe your feet. And maybe the ability to take someone down. What kind of training are you receiving that you cannot employ the kind of tactics that would save life rather than take life? I have to ask that question. The very first instinct is to pull your gun. I know it's dangerous out there. But my God, in many of the circumstances where I see the death of an individual with my hue of skin, I can honestly tell you with a great degree of certainty that if you had the right person out there with the right kind of training, the right kind of sensitivity, the person who is not mired in bigotry and stereotype and prejudice, if you had that individual out there who can say, you know what, man, let's, let's, let's talk for a moment. Instead of pulling your gun and escalating you can't have a conversation. See, there's a distinction and a demarcation between you arriving at a murder scene or you arriving at a scene where someone actually has a gun and actually posed a threat to you. than someone who might be experiencing some form of mental breakdown or who might even have a behavior, not related to mental illness, but just might be acting out. You mean to tell me you don't have the, Audible skill to confront that person and, and convince that person that, wait, wait, hey, we have some options here. Let's let's talk for a moment. And if it's not for a moment, let's talk for 10 minutes. If it's not for 10 minutes, hell, I will spend the next two hours with you, de-escalating you so that you are not a threat to the community or yourself. I'd rather do that than to pull my gun and take your life and destroy another black family. What happened to that kind of training? De-escalation intention is not afforded to us, at least on the same scale or degree afforded to white criminals and mass murderers and gun-toting militia. When you have the full weight and power of the state entrusted to thugs with badges and bigots and uniform and incompetent, poorly trained idiots with guns who are mired in stereotype and imaginary fear when it comes to black people. It further demonstrates our collective trauma. And it's clearly evident to me, at least to me, that in many instances, we are not safe From police. More specifically white bigots in uniform. Now I will be the first. If something were to happen to my family, particularly if I'm not home. I would want them to call police, but I don't want police arriving and confusing the situation and escalating the situation. I want your professionalism to be exhibited so that when you arrive at a circumstance or situation where it's escalated, you can as a professional bring the escalation down and rationally go through that circumstance. So no life is taken. And I want to be clear about this. Not all white police are bigots. Not all police get up out of bed every day to harm uh, our people. But it's clear to me that there is some undercurrent happening when they interact with us. There's a black man. I identify with the legitimate fear of the man that shares my hue of skin when they are interacting with police, especially white officers. And it's time for white America to become intimately familiar with this fear and know the cutting pain of having your children, their lives snatched from this world by people who were actually tasked with the responsibility of protecting and serving, serving proper pronunciation. And I want to add further clarity here. When an interaction with police devolves into resisting arrest, it should not end in death. And what white folks don't get is that resisting arrest should not and is not a damn death penalty. And I, you know, for black folk, just want to say this. If you are resisting arrest simply because you don't want to be arrested, despite breaking the law, I cannot arouse sympathies when you are carted off to jail. If you break the law, you must pay the price. Whether it's a traffic stop or some egregious behavior, you are duty bound to comply with police. I want to put that disclaimer out there. I believe that to my core. You shouldn't resist arrest and you should wait. If you feel offended or whatever your feelings are, you take it to court. You don't argue it there. This is the thing that I had to share with my kids. I want you to come home safely. So don't resist arrest. Don't do anything to give any police officer a reason to pull his gun or a taser or to hit or brutalize you do what you're supposed to do. But at the same time, Even if it occurs when someone is resisting arrest, it should not end in anybody's death. I want white folks, especially right wing conservatives to know our anxieties and our fears. Because where I depart in this analysis of what happens when there is a resisting of arrest, where I depart, is with excessive force and brutality and overt efforts to harm people, efforts to impose emotional and physical trauma and to victimize and perhaps unjustifiably kill our people. And as far as I understand it with regard to what happened in Rochester, these police officers put this... Uh, this sock or whatever over this man's face. He's running around naked. Something is clearly wrong. And rather than having patience and waiting it out, they get angry at the guy. And if you've ever had to work in that experience, you cannot allow anger to override that situation. You have to be able to think rationally with people who are suffering some form of mental illness breakdown. And clearly these people Not only are they incompetent, but they also exercise a great degree of impatience and anger and frustration. I want white folks to feel the trepidation experienced during interactions with police. I want you to know what is like the legitimate fear that we have. See, they can claim and feign fear for their life, but it is we that are unarmed and have guns pointing at us, who is actually in more fear? Is it the individual with the gun or the individual that don't have the gun? Our fears of these negative interactions should be equally considered with that of police. Or let me ask you, As is usually the case, is our consternation and our dread and our fright dismissed as it usually is? And the answer to that question is yes. The larger society, particularly and especially whites, is indeed usually dismissive of our fears. Or at the very least, there's this cavalier attitude toward this. And I know I speak for a lot of folk because I know I feel it. I feel under siege by bad policing. You ever had to get up in the morning and one of your first things that you have to see, hear about is a negative interaction. And then after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and a slew of others in the past few weeks, it appears that while a talk of an overhaul or perhaps defunding police is being debated, protests around the country demonstrates that at least some people and at least some police are not interested in changing. There is this palpable anger and dread that is seething beneath the surface of the black community. And I don't know, it's, it's really frustrating. When there is an unjustified killing of an African-American by police, the familiar playbook is trotted out. Small and large protests, calls for justice, chants and expressions of outrage, bereaved families of the slain, tearfully flanked by civil rights leaders as they plead for justice from a department that has no real interest in justice while marches and contained riots draw television cameras, the sturdy structure of indifference endures by white folks. And it's not until white mothers and white fathers have to bury their children and sort through this horrible trauma inflicted on us by police. It's not until they have to lean over the caskets of their children, their sons, their daughters, their fathers, their brothers, that they will finally feel what we grapple with on a daily basis in this country their conversation about police is about staying out of trouble and not bringing shame to the family or the family name by being arrested. The luxury afforded to whites is a disparity that is unfair and immoral because our conversation with our sons and our daughters is to keep your mouth shut. Don't resist, show your hands at all times so you're not shot and killed or snatched from this world because of bigotry and prejudice and stereotype. White America, white mothers, white fathers, white police, while many of you are cavalier and dismissive, not all certainly, but many of you, if for a moment you had to experience the utter sense of loss in the gaping hole left in the heart of a parent or a sibling because of the reckless actions of white police, I want you to ask the families, just ask the families of Jacob Blake and DeJuan Gizzy and. Stephen DeMarco, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, Philando Castile, Jonathan Farrell, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Katherine Johnston, Sean Bell, Eric Garner, Rekia Boyd, Amadou Diallo, Michael Brown, Kimney Gray, Kenneth Chamberlain, Tavares McGill, Tamir Rice, Ayanna Stanley... Freddie Gray, Timothy Russell, Melissa Williams, Oscar Grant, John Crawford III, and countless others. Imagine how those families feel because of your reckless behavior and your indifference and your prejudice and your bigotry and your stereotype. These families are all too familiar with the long and arduous road for justice. And while they are clinging to a fleeting hope that their loved one's killer will meet justice at the end of the day, deep disappointment and despair is the end result because of these injustice system. I want you to feel what they are feeling, the disappointment the anger and the frustration and the deep sense of loss. White America. If but for a moment you can feel their pain, perhaps then you would understand what we're feeling. Now, I understand that there are whites who are killed by police. It's absolutely true. But there's something sinister and more cynical about the juxtaposition. Because at the end of the day. It is people with my hue of skin that lives with this fear every single day. And here's the sad and honest truth. The black community does not enjoy the kind of relationship with police as experienced by whites, especially in wealthy, politically connected, and white privileged communities. This demarcation in service and treatment is evident in traffic stops in foot patrol and a wide array of interactions. White people enjoy the benefit of doubt regardless of behavior or criminal activity. Social media is replete with countless videos of police interaction with white citizens that demonstrate a level of discretion and patience that is not afforded to people of color. And during these interactions, you find quite fascinating. There is this deference in this cooperation given even when tensions have escalated and I've seen so many videos where white guys challenge police during traffic stops and they spout off disrespect and disregard toward the officer's badge and his authority. I seen just a week ago, literally. This drunk guy is spitting at police, cussing at police. And you know what happens? He gets arrested. He's overly aggressive and gets into the police officer's face. I've seen seen videos where police officers are actually running from white offendants who are carrying weapons, who are literally drawing weapons, who are lunging at police. But in our case, our people are shot and killed. What happened to affording us equity and discretion. White men can draw their gun on police and the likelihood of that individual being shot and killed is significantly less than a black person who is unarmed when armed protesters and militia can point their high capacity guns at federal officers during a standoff or they can have the discretion of uh, 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 of you know being part of a friends group that can actually hurl verbal insults and threats at police and not one is killed they can storm the capitol in michigan with ak47s and other long guns actually threaten to shoot police yet it doesn't end with death. And for some reason, the stellar training of police officers in these instances most often miserably fails when they are interacting with my community. And the same holds true. I, I You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I, I remember just a few months ago watching these guys with these AK-47s storming. State Capitol in Michigan, and yet the police officers treated them as if they were heroes. That's white privilege. When a white guy, a 17-year-old militia terrorist, can kill two protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the police affords this murder water and allowed him to roam the streets with an assault weapon strapped across his shoulders. And instead of arresting him, he went home. In another state, after killing two people, protesters, and blowing off the arm essentially and wounding another. And it's most often the case the imagined fear of police when they interact with our community results in death of an unarmed, non threatening black man. And another black family has to endure the cost. In the pain of burying a family member because of the imagined fear and the stereotype and reckless attitude and behavior and bad training of police. Now, I'm about to close, but I will say this. What is equally egregious is when bigots and thugs slip through the cracks and are given a badge and a gun. These are the worst kind of police because they're not only bent on exerting control There is also the seething bigotry that is aroused when they interact with people of color. I've had to endure listening to police officers on tape talk about a race war and how they can't wait until they get an opportunity to kill and shoot black people, black men especially. We've endured so much in this country. In the last several weeks, as we've had to muddle through the heartbreak of all of these deaths, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, countless others, this utterly senseless gun violence that claims the lives in major cities like Chicago. We live with trauma and pain and agony and mental anguish of being shot by police, it's not only that we have to deal with gang violence in our community, we have to deal with police who have a gang mentality, who can swarm our streets, patrol our neighborhoods with no thought to our humanity. This collective trauma plagues our soul and we are tired and we are exhausted. And just for a moment, Maybe a day, maybe an hour, a moment, a fraction of a second. I want you to feel the pain of Amadou Diallo's mother, of Eric Garner's mother, of Breonna Taylor's mother, of Trayvon Martin's mother. I want you to feel the pain of Katherine Johnson's mother and Tamir Rice's mother. Maybe then you'll get it, White America. Maybe then you would understand if you had to lean over the caskets of your children, your husband, or your father. This is Ron Holland, the Fire of My Words podcast. We'll talk with you next week. God bless.